Um, grab your Bibles and go to 1 Timothy chapter 6. We're continuing in our study through 1 Timothy uh, chapter 6. This is called exegetical preaching for our guests that are here. Um, we're just going verse by verse, book by book, and we're going through right now 1 Timothy, and we're going to get into 2 Timothy next, and then we're going to go to Titus. These three books are known as the pastoral epistles, and they are, they are built around the idea of what the church is supposed to do. Why we exist, what's the purpose of what we do, and what Christians in the church are supposed to do. So, um, we're going to continue that, and we're going to be in verse 11, so if you find chapter 6, go to verse 11, that's where we're going to camp. We're only making it one verse today, so, sorry, that's, that's as far as we're getting today. Uh, but last week, last week, we, we saw and heard why we are not supposed to follow false doctrines. Why we're not supposed to follow after false theologies and false doctrines and false religions. That they, they end up taking you to a place of just depth of sorrow. And, and they do not bring life everlasting, but rather they bring you into um, hell itself. So... That's what we talked about last week was false doctrines, false teachers, and anyone who advocates or calls on the belief of anything that is anti-scripture or the antithesis or the opposite of scripture. We're to run away from these things. That's what we're called to do in the text here. It says, the last thing it says, to flee these things. And then in verse 11, it tells us, O man of God, flee these things. So this is what we're supposed to flee is false doctrines, false ideologies, false teachings. And stay grounded, stay focused in on the scriptures. Now, here's what a lot of people will do that are not Christians or maybe that are outside of the church. They look at people like us and they say, well, golly, Caleb, all you guys are are a bunch of don't do, don't, 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 shame, 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 don't. Not really, but that's, there are things we're not supposed to do. Amen, yes and amen to that. But this week, what I want us to look at, I want us to focus in on verse 11, are the things that we're supposed to do. Amen? The things that we are, as, as Christians are encouraged to do. What, we are do, what we're supposed to be, what we're supposed to do as followers of Christ. So last week was, hey, don't do these things. Don't follow after false religions because they're just going to end up destroying you in the end. But here's what you're supposed to do. If you're a Christian, oh, man of God, flee these things. But here's what you're supposed to do next in verse, in verse 11. It says, pursue righteousness. Pursue godliness. Pursue faith. Pursue love, steadfastness, and gentleness. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the morning. We thank you for the opportunity to see your word, to study your word, to look at your word. Help us in these few moments that we have. God, I know that I have no ability in and of myself to relay spiritual truth without your Holy Spirit directly intervening on the hearer's behalf. God, I pray that today that that would be the case. Use this time for your glory. In Christ's name, amen. So we're going to see here that biblical Christianity is not just a list of do's and or do nots. It's rather a foundational ideology of lasting, genuine satisfaction and joy 
that is found in the person and the work of the Lord Jesus Christ on Calvary's cross. So Paul tells Timothy, here's what you're supposed to do, O man of God, O Christian. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness. So the number one thing that we see in the thing that we're supposed to, supposed to pursue. Number one, if you're taking notes, number one, righteousness. That's the number one thing in the text. Pursue righteousness. In the 1828 Webster Dictionary, which, I listen, that's my go-to for definitions. I, I don't, modern day dictionaries have weird stuff in them now. I, I like, listen, I'm an old school guy. I like high church and I like old school stuff. So 1828 Webster Dictionary, this is the definition of righteousness. Ready? Purity of heart. Rectitude of life. Conformity of the heart and life to the divine law. Ooh, the divine law. So where's the divine law found? Oh, it's in the scriptures, right? There we go. This is righteousness. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, verse 6, says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. This is what we should be longing for and wanting as Christians. Is we should be hungering and thirsting after righteousness. This idea of having purity of heart. Having a, a life that is reconciled to God. A conformity of our heart and our life to the divine law of God. So this is what we as Christians should be pursuing. So that, that we, we see this in, in the text in 1 Timothy is echoing what Christ called us to do in Matthew chapter 5. So Jesus on the Sermon on the Mount, this is the, this, the longest sermon that Jesus ever per- preached in Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. We see here Jesus tells them, this is what you want. You want to follow me? You want to be a Christian? Here's what you must do. Blessed are those who are pursuing, who are hungering, who are thirsting for righteousness. Just like you hunger and thirst for the, your favorite things. You know my favorite things, fajitas. And you, you throw a fajita in front of me, you might not get your arm back if you try to take it away from me. I hunger for fajitas. I love that. I love those things, right? You name, name whatever you want to put in there. Hunger. What are you hungering and thirsting after? Are you longing for Christ? Here's, here's, I can't tell you. Like I don't have an app on my phone. Or I can just walk up to Brother Allen and say, okay, and, just, and I scan Brother Allen with my app on my phone and say, all right, all right, Brother Allen's got about 79.5% of righteousness going, man, that's a good, it's good, right? And I, I don't have that. I don't know how much of God you've got, but I do know this, you've got all of God that you want. If you want more, you can get more. The scripture tells us that. You, you, want, you want more of God, you can ask. He'll give you more of himself. You want to know him deeper? Get in the word and study the word and you're going to find him to be true. You're going to find out the nature and character of who, of who God is. And then you're going to be called to follow after that nature and character. Woo! Now, we have an understanding of something. That, that the righteousness that we are pursuing here, this is not our own making. We don't pursue our own righteousness. You, you remember the text where it talks about self-righteousness. 
And that's a, that's, a, that's a righteousness that we try to muster up on our own. It is not something that we muster up. This righteousness that we're called to pursue is not a human built-in righteousness. Charles Spurgeon once said, The greatest enemy of human souls is the self-righteous spirit, which makes men look to themselves for salvation. That, that ain't going to work. Eh? That, as Dr. Phil used to say, how's that working for you? Everybody that's trying to find their own righteousness and try to muster up their own righteousness always is going to fall short. Always is going to feel like they fall flat. But when you're pursuing the righteousness of God, there's where you're going to find satisfaction. That's where you're going to find satisfaction. Are you hungering and thirsting for the righteousness of Christ in your own life? And if we have any hope of finding lasting salvation, redemption, satisfaction, and joy, it must be in the righteousness and the finished work of Christ on, on Calvary's cross alone. We are to pursue righteousness. And God, the next thing we see here, number two, we're to pursue godliness. So number two, what are we, what are we supposed to do as Christians? Pursue righteousness. Number two, pursue godliness. Remember not too long back in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 8, Paul wrote to Timothy, he says, For while the by bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way as it holds promise to the present life and then also to the life to come. So he uses a, a workout analogy training your body you go to the gym i know that you all think I'm, it's 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 hard to believe i don't go to the gym but i i've got a shape but uh my wife's going oh my gosh how you feeling honey there's only we got a hundred folks in here it's fine it's totally fine all right um yeah I've had a roll here, and I, it's because of the coffee I had. It's my, it's the coffee's fault. For a while, you, you go to the gym to train your body. Why are you training your body? Because you want to be healthy. You want to, you want to look your best. You want to train your body. That's a lot of people say: train, train, train. Go to the gym. Go to the gym. Go to the gym. Which I'm not anti-gym. Neither is Paul. Paul says, "Listen, it, while bodily training is of some value, godliness, training yourself in godliness." is a way it holds promise right now and it holds promise in 10 million years it holds promise in 10 it holds promise why because in 10,000 years it doesn't matter what you can bench guys I'm glad you can bench what, what can you bench bro come on what 300 maybe 350 higher I'm just checking but the idea is, like, that's great. But in 10,000 years, it won't matter if you could bench. What matters in 10,000 years is this Christ rule in your life. Is Christ the king of your heart? Have you been washed in the blood? We sang about it this morning. We sang about that this morning. So this is the idea to pursue godliness. If you're pursuing godliness, it's going to hold promise to right now. It's going to bring value now. And later, so if you're that, if that, that's the idea in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1 and 2, tells us that when, when 
pursuit, we are to pursue and imitate God. That's the idea in, in, first te- in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 1, or I'm sorry, Ephesians chapter 5, verses 1 through 2, tells us that when we pursue and imitate God, it is actually a beautiful fragrance in the nostrils of God. Let me read it here for you. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and a sacrifice. How, how many of y'all love a good smelling something? Like if, if you go to, like, listen, it is no secret that when fall and Christmas candles go on sale at Bath and Body Works, I'm on. Like I'm in, let's go, I'm, let's go sniff around, right? Let's go. Is there anybody else in the room? Come on. People say, wait, it's not your wife that's the candle person? No, I'm 100% the candle person in our house. Like, I'm in. Let's go buy some. Let's go buy them. Just sniff and just smell. My favorite is um, fall um, sweater weather and then uh, fresh balsam. Those are my two favorites. So if you're looking for a Christmas gift for Pastor Caleb, there you go. Just saying. My wife's like, shut it down. But when this is, you go to something that smells good, you want, to, you want to linger there for a little bit. You want to enjoy that, right? But you smell something that's funky. You want to run from that. You want to stay away from that. My wife's terrified. I've got an analogy for that. I don't. There's nothing in that one. We're just going to let people's imaginations wander. With You think of something you hate to smell. You don't stick around for that, right? So you want God to stick around and linger and enjoy? Listen, we're called to be imitators of God as beloved children. Look, notice that. In Ephesians here, we are to imitate God the way a child imitates their dad or a small child imitates somebody that they look up to. I've got two nephews. Actually, I've got three, but I've got two younger nephews. They're just little guys. Donk, which is Tucker, and then... Luke, these two guys, I come in the room and all bets are off. They want to fight. They want to, they want to wrestle. They're like, they, like Luke, I come in and Luke starts beating his chest and he's like, put up your dukes. And I'm like, all right, game on. Let's play. But it's hilarious as I'm going through the house and doing things in the house. If I do an action, Luke imitates me. Tucker imitates me even down to if I'm outside and I spit you know what they do <laughs> they do the exact what and they're, as I'm, they're watching me they're, they're, they're keeping their focus on like, what's Uncle Caleb going to do next what's he going to do next I'm going to watch him this is the idea that as a Christian, you're to imitate God as a beloved children, as a kid who loves his, somebody that he looks up to, a father, an uncle, somebody that he looks up to. So you're to look at Jesus this way. As a Christian, you're to watch Jesus and imitate him. So how do I look at Jesus? Glad you ask. You're holding it. You're holding it. You want to know what Christ is? He's right here. He's told you his nature and character. He tells you what he is. He tells you who he is in the text. You want to be like God? Read the text. He'll tell you what to do. He's telling you right now, this is what you're to pursue. Pursue godliness. Pursue righteousness. 
This is, this is what we're called to do. And when you're pursuing godliness, it's easier to love people who are messy. So we can knock out two birds with one stone here in the text because one of the things we're supposed to pursue, I know I'm going out of order here, but that's okay. We're to pursue love as well. And if you're pursuing godliness, you can pursue love as well. Love and godliness go hand in hand. When you pursue godliness and you want to be more like God, guess what? You're going to love people the way God loves people. That's it. But let me, let me say this. Loving people does not mean that you excuse sin in their life. That is the most unloving thing that you can do is turn a blind eye to sin in someone's life. As a Christ follower, loving people is wanting to see people win in their faith. I, as your pastor, want to see my congregation win in their Christian walk. Win in their Christian life. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 4 through 7. Now this is, we, we look at this text and it's all about love. This, this Bible verse is read often at weddings. But I don't think we really read this text the way it needs to be read. We start to look at what love actually is. Because we have this mentality in our culture today. Oh, love is love. What is love? I love pizza. I love a good fajita. I also love my wife. But guess what? I love my wife differently than I love fajitas. Right? You okay, honey? That's true. Let's look at verse 4 of chapter 13 in 1 Corinthians. Love is patient. Oh, there we go. Anybody in the room need some patience? Okay? <laughs> I am just causing fights left and right today. It's going to be awesome. Love is patient. This is the number one. You want to, okay, pursue love. What does that look like? Love is to be patient with one another. Love is kind. Don't be a jerk. Love is not jealous. Love does not brag. And it is not arrogant. It doesn't act unbecomingly. Oh, well, crud. Because sometimes my wife says, you're, very, you're being very unbecoming. I don't know what that means, Walida. It does not seek its own. It is not easily provoked. Anybody in the room easily provoked? You want to pursue, you want to be like God? Pursue love. What does it mean to pursue love? It's not selfish. It's patient. What it's, it doesn't, it's not provoked. It does not take into account wrong suffered. Now, what does that mean? It doesn't, hold, it doesn't get historical and it doesn't keep a list of wrongs. I didn't say hysterical. I said historical. Amen, sister? Don't get long listed with people. Well, you remember back a couple years ago when you did... Remember that? Remember Boy, aren't you thankful Jesus doesn't do that to you and I? Yes. Aren't you thankful that when you come to prayer and you're like, Father, I'm back again. He's like, you know, a couple weeks ago, brother. 
Remember when you did this? Remember when you did that? Remember when you, remember? He doesn't bring these things up. When you've confessed, you've repented, and you've moved on, guess what? So did Jesus. So did Jesus. It does not take into account wrong suffered. It does not rejoice in unrighteousness. Oh, remember righteousness. We're to pursue righteousness. So what, I know we said we were going to talk about only what we're to do. Well, love says, I don't, I don't engage in and I don't rejoice in unrighteousness. If someone is living unrighteously, I lovingly am not going to rejoice and approve of their unrighteousness. I'm rather going to call them to repent and believe the gospel. It rejoices in truth, though. That's what love does. It believes all things. It bears all things. It hopes for all things. And it endures. We're going to talk about endurance here in just a few minutes. But that's what love does. Love endures. This idea of I fell out of love. I, I, I had a friend of mine, because I, I said something one time. I said, we need to fall in love with Jesus. That was a statement I made. And I got to thinking about it after he, this friend of mine called me on it. He said, man, I hate that terminology of falling in love. Because it's not intentional. It, it looks like an accident. We're not supposed to accidentally fall in love. We're supposed to grow in our love. We're supposed to be intentional in our love. I didn't accidentally just fall in love with my wife. I grew in that. I, I found things out about her. The things I liked about her. Even the things I thought were a little quirky, I still liked. Same for me. She thought, listen, I got street goes both ways. So we're to pursue godliness and love together both of these things are intertwined when you're godly you're going to love well the next thing we're to pursue here as christ followers is our faith is faith hebrews chapter 11 verses 1 through 2 says now faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen for by it men of old gained approval now with our physical eyes we can't see christ like i i have never with my physical eye seen jesus walk into a room we have the eye of faith that christ is who he says he is he's where he says he is he does what he says he does he is god he is god and through the the pages of scripture this is where we see and believe who God is. Back to Romans chapter 10, verse 17. One of these days it's going to happen. I'm going to just, just brand it across this back wall. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. That's where you want to, how do I grow in my faith? You have got to be in God's word. You have got to be in God's word. So having this type of faith proves that you belong to Christ. Having a faith that what? Now, faith is the assurance. What, think about that word of assurance. Like you're just sure of whatever it is. Like you walk in with a confidence of knowing who Christ is. Faith is the assurance of things that you've hoped for. I am hoping for the day. There is going to come a day when Christ is going to split the sky open. And either I'm going to be raised first because I died. Or I'm going to go with him in the air. One of the two. But my assurance is that I will see Christ with my own eyes one day. And when I see Christ, I'm going to put my knee to the ground and my mouth is going to say joyfully, Jesus is Lord. 
This is the assurance I have and the conviction of things not seen. I haven't, listen, I have not seen the streets of gold yet, but I believe they're there. I haven't seen the crystal sea that we sing about and read about in the text, but I believe it's there. I have not seen these mansions that God talks about, but man, they're going to be amazing. Can't wait. There's going to be a new heaven and a new earth, and it's going to be awesome. Can't wait for that one. So this type of faith, when you, it, when you pursue this type of faith, this, this, this proves that you belong to Christ Jesus. Then it continues in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. Do you want to please the Lord Jesus Christ this morning? That's a question. Yeah, you do. Here's what you get. You've got to have that kind of faith. What kind of faith is that? Keep reading in 11, 6. It is impossible to please him if you don't have faith. But for whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. So without faith and belief in God, you cannot please him. You, you'll never please him. God says that you'll never actually please him if you don't believe he exists. So those atheists that are out there that don't believe in God's existence, they're not pleasing him. They're actually incurring and, and gathering for themselves the wrath of God, not the blessings of God. So without faith and belief in God... You're never going to actually please him. But if we have faith, if you have faith and believe that he exists and that he rewards those who diligently seek after him, woo, you're going to please the Lord Jesus Christ. And I'm going to tell you today, that's what I want. I want to please Jesus. I want a congregation of men and women that want to and long to pursue and please Jesus. That's what we're supposed to do. Number four. Endurance. We're to pursue endurance. I'm going to do my best Alistair bag this morning. He's a Scottish preacher from Ohio. Endurance is a key indicator of a spiritual fitness. How'd that work? You like that? Was that good? <laughs> Alistair Begg is a great preacher, but he says, Endurance is the key indicator of spiritual fitness. The 1828 Webster Dictionary defines endurance as a bearing or suffering and a continuing under pain or distress without resistance or without sinking or yielding to the pressures to be patient, to endure. We are to focus, we are called here in the text to pursue endurance. And we are to focus on, as Christ followers, a way to endure through this entire life. Hebrews chapter 12 verse 3 says, Consider him who endured. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostilities against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. Listen, Jesus Jesus endured massive. Think of, read the stories of Christ. He was spit on. He was beaten. He was mocked. He was thrown out of his own city. They tried to do everything and anything to destroy that man. They could not stand Jesus. He, he endured so that you would not grow weary 
or faint-hearted. Christ did that for you. Christ loved you enough to endure this kind of hostility so that you could grow and you would not grow weary, but not be faint-hearted, but be able to walk in endurance in, uh, in a way that absolutely blows the mind of people. How in the world could you be so patient? How can you deal with people the way you deal with people? How do you love people the way you love people? Because Jesus loves a rat like me. If Jesus can love a rat like me, I can love a rat like you. Think of what Christ had to endure from wicked sinners. And if, and if this is what he could do, he's provided a pathway for you to be able to do the same thing. He didn't quit. He didn't quit these people that are deconstructing in their faith. Listen, they didn't have any faith to start with. First Peter tells us that. That if they, if they went on, if they, they went out from us, so that it was plain to us that they were never with us. This is, he, Jesus didn't quit. So if Jesus didn't quit, his followers shouldn't quit. We're called to endure. He, he didn't quit. So you don't quit. The calling is for you to endure. Matthew chapter 24 verse 13 says, But the one who endures to the end will be saved. This is what we're called to do, ladies and gentlemen. This is what you're supposed to do. You're like, you want a list of things we do? There it is. There's the list of things we do. This is what we're called to do. We're called to continue in our faith over and over again. We're to endure in our faith. We're to pursue endurance. We're to pursue righteousness. We're to pursue our faith. We're to pursue love. We're to pursue godliness. Practice these things is what the text tells us. Number five, last thing. Gentleness. Gentleness. Philippians chapter 4 verse 5 says, Let your reasonableness or gentleness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Or some translations say, the Lord is coming soon. So, let your reasonableness, let your gentleness be known because God's on His way. So we must be gentle and reasonable. Open to hearing people out. In Galatians chapter 5, one of the fruits of the Spirit is gentleness. That's one of the fruits of the Spirit. That the, the, the evidence that you're controlled by the Holy Spirit is that you're a gentle person. So, in other words, the evidence that Christ rules and reigns in your heart is that you're a gentle person. You don't lose your mind. Or some of y'all can't lose your mind because you don't have much to give. And pointing at me too. Don't, I, can't, I can't believe you said that. I'm saying, me too. How many of y'all have ever lost your mind and then you're like, good grief, I wish I hadn't done that. Okay. You don't lose your mind or speak out of turn. You speak with people in a, in a conversation. You're gentle. You want to you you see, as a Christian, you want to see reconciliation. You want to see redemption. You want to see forgiveness. You want to see a, 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 a transformation. You're not always trying to be right or have a harsh tone. There's a gentleness about our communication. 
So it's a calling. This is a calling for us as Christ followers. We are to flee from all types of worldliness and we are to pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. And then it continues in verse 12. Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and you make a good confession in the presence of many witnesses. We're called to fight a good fight, ladies and gentlemen. As a Christian, you are to fight the good fight and you are to fight against immorality and false doctrines and you are to fight to pursue the right things. It is a fight to pursue good things. It is easy to jump in with all the ungodliness and worldliness in our life. It is easy to follow after the pagan culture. Because everybody's going to say, come on in, go with us. We're just going to this, follow the stream. It's a good time. When you turn and go against the tide, when you go against the river of ungodliness, and you say, I want to pursue God, I want to pursue His righteousness, I want to pursue faith, I want to pursue the things, guess what? Those logs that are coming down the river, they're going to bust you in the face. You're going to feel pain. But you keep swimming. Keep swimming. Yes, I'm going to sing Dory. Just keep swimming, just keep swimming, swim, right? Keep going. Keep moving. Don't give up. Don't quit. We're called to fight this good fight. This is what Paul tells Timothy. Because Timothy was a young pastor. And there was times where he was getting frustrated. And so this is an encouragement letter to, put to Timothy saying, Don't Give up! Oh, don't give up. We're at war. And if you're in war, you don't stop fighting. We're in a battle. You don't take it. There's no such thing. The enemy doesn't take a day off. So neither should we. We need to start acting like we're in a war. You're in a war for your heart, for your mind. All these things. This town should look different because we've got so many in this room. Every single Sunday, we seem to get more and more people in here. This town should look different. Amen? Amen. This town should be a beacon of righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, Christ-like gentleness. That's the challenge. You say, well, Caleb, what's the challenge today? That you leave this room invigorated by the power of the Holy Spirit, you say, man, this week I'm going to pursue righteousness like I've never pursued it before. In the power, not in my own strength, not in my own might, but I'm going to pursue it as Christ gives me the ability, as the Holy Spirit so enables me, I'm going to pursue godliness. I'm going to pursue righteousness. I'm going to get in, I'm going to dig in this word and I'm going to read it. God, give me wisdom as I read this. What do you want from me? Okay, cool. Here's what I want from you. Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and about which you made a good confession. And in the presence of many witnesses, you stood and you said, I want to follow Christ. In front of the entire church, guess what? Let's hold you to that. Let's hold your feet to that. This town should be a beacon. The challenge is that today... Do what God's called you to do. So, what God, Caleb, I I still don't know what God's called me to do. This is where I'm going to tell you to do some homework. 
Open up the scriptures. Go to John. Go to the book of John. Go to the book of Romans. Go and read First and Second Timothy. Because listen, there's a ton in here in First and Second Timothy as to what Christians are supposed to do. Go read the book of James. That's shoe leather for Christianity. That's walking shoes for Christianity. You want to know how to walk your faith out? Go read the book of James. I'm telling you, you would much rather have me as your pastor than James. James often punches people in the mouth. Metaphorically speaking. Like I read James, I'm like, ah! You're, you're angry? Here's why you're angry. And just lays it out. Why do you hate each other? Here's why you hate each other. That's the challenge. So we got one verse further than I thought we would. We got to verse 12. So we got two verses in. Look at us. Who would have thought? Not me. You guys are listening faster and faster every week. It's great. It's awesome. So this is the idea. Follow Christ. Follow Christ in what he's called you to do. Do what Jesus has called you to do.